just indeed a blessing to be here and see all of you, my father's children. It's good to be in the house of God together. Amen. David said, I was glad. I got excited when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There's a lot of places you can go to get excitement. There's a lot of places you can go to get chills and thrills. But there's only one place that you can go to feel a presence that's moving in this place like not right now. And that's the house of God. It's just something about <laughs> when God's people get together and begin to worship and to lift their hands and burdens begin to be lifted and shackles are erased, that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And we give him glory and praise. Give a hand clap and welcome our online viewers as well, those who watch us every week. Lord, speak your servants, listen. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 How many of you are glad to be here? Give God a praise. We are in a sermon series, and we're going into the year 2024. And can anybody remember what the word for 2024 is? Can anybody tell me what it is? Expectation. Everybody say that with me. Expectation expectation. God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ever ask or think. And we don't put a limit on God. We don't choose how he does what he does and when he does what he does. We just simply know he's going to do it. And we're excited about it, that we want to be a part of what God has, is doing. I want you, if they'll pull up that global mission slide, I want you to pull up something for me. Here at Encounter, our goal is to reach the lost and teach the found. And what? change the world one life at a time and as God's getting us ready to do some different things I've been praying about some things and I was having a meeting and the Lord spoke to my heart and I, I, I talked it over with some of the trusted people that are here and God is giving me a vision for what he's calling us to everybody say digital missions <coughs> pastor what is digital missions the Bible says, go into all the hills and the highways and the hedges, what? Compelling men to come. Well, the, the message of the gospel will always stay the same. For 2,000 years, it has always been the same. It will never change. And we're glad for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ was on the scene, they didn't have cars. They didn't have television. They didn't have other things. So the principle remains when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But much of the world has become what? Digital. From the oldest to the youngest, I'm pretty sure most of us in here, except for those old holdouts that don't, won't get that, that still hold on that flip phone, guess what we do? We live on our what? Phones. And, and so this year in 2024, if the Lord says the same, part of our goal will be getting better. You've seen already things happen. We have a brand new sound booth back there with a, a whole crew, audio visual crew and people working. And we're going to be working to take the gospel to the digital highways. We're going to be working with podcasts. We're going to be working on, on another level with podcasts. We're going to be working better with live stream and adding other things so that we can help bring the gospel to many people who, lost, uh, who need it. I don't know if you know it or not, but a lot of our visitors that we have had during the summer, most of them came and they watched us first on what? Live stream. They watched us for months before they decided that they wanted to come in. And that's a medium we want to pay attention to. And we're so glad for it that God is giving us a vision to do some things outside of the norm. There are many churches that are starting to do this. And I want us to keep in mind, everybody say digital missions. 
that's one of our words for, the, for 2024. We're going to be reaching the lost through the Internet. We're going to go in there because this is what happened. What happened when the television came along is that church people said the television was the devil, and they wouldn't watch TV, and they wouldn't do all that stuff. But then the, since the devil had it all by itself, he used that to, to shape and mold the minds of many young people and shape and mold a generation. And then church people caught up just a little bit too late. We're not going to do that this time. We're going to use the Internet and all the gifts that God has given us, and we're going to take the gospel out there. There are bad things on the Internet, but we're going to make sure that there are good things and wholesome things on there so that people can reach the gospel uh, and, and, and get the gospel. I don't know if you've noticed, but since we started live streaming, I went to look. Uh, since we started counting and we switched to our other platform, we had others, but we have streamed out over 293 times. We have sent out thousands of hours of content. We have podcasts on Google and Apple and Spotify where people can get it. We have it on live stream on two different websites. We're working very hard to get the gospel out to some people who may never, ever see our church. And our missions is big. We give to Nepal every month. Uh, we give uh, and help with Jalis' ministry in Africa. But we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to minister to all those around us. Amen? Amen. So. With that being said, I'm going to move on. Today, I, we're in a sermon series called No What? No Offense. Has this been a blessing to your life? It's been a blessing to mine to let us know how to get rid of offense in our lives. And we've been talking about how, how offense is the word scandalon in the Greek, which is literally the bait of the trap. If you made a bear trap or if you made a rat trap or a mouse trap, that little spot that the bait sits on is called a scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal for. It's, it, it means to jump up and grab. In other words, I get caught in something that won't let me go. And that's what offense is. When we become offended with people, we become angry with those people. And, though, and us being angry with those people doesn't hurt those people. It ultimately hurts what? Us. When we don't forgive, when we walk in unforgiveness, when we walk in bitterness and hatred, that is something that's going to cause us pain. That's going to cause us high blood pressure. That's going to cause us insomnia. insomnia. It doesn't hurt anybody but our what? Selves. So we've been learning to be free. And last week we talked, the first week we talked about eyes wide shut, how we could be offended and not even realize that we were what? Offended. And we talked about that last week. And that was uh, the week before last. And that was vitally important. And last week we talked about being done in by what? Friend, how we deal with the betrayal of others and how we release that betrayal. And I think one of the most powerful things we had at the end of the sermon was where I watched Many people not wondering what I was going to do, and they bowed their heads, and I told them to think of the person who's hurt you the most. And I want you to say these words, I forgive you, and I want you to go to heaven. And as a pastor looking out, I could see the struggle that was in you. Because I'd already seen that struggle that was in me. I don't, I'm my own guinea pig. And before the word hits you, it hits me first. I already knew the reaction that you would get. Because if you can do that, nobody can hate somebody that they're praying good for. Nobody can hate somebody who they wish well for. And so we won't want hatred to bear in our souls that roots of bitterness will spring up. And so today, we're going to learn how to deal with another type of offense. Pull up Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13 through 17, if we could stand for the reading of the word of our Lord. I know some of us are already sitting. That's okay. If you're sitting and you're tired, that's fine. We're worshiping. That's a, however, whatever you're comfortable for, with, you're at liberty to worship the Lord in this place. Amen. We, got, we have two passages of scripture, and I want us to be able to see them 
and we're going to read those. Y'all ready? Let's read them together. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized by him, at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permitted to be so now, for thus is fitting to fulfill our righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from, my, from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We can see before we go to the scripture, to the next scripture, we can see very clearly, and apparently John can too, who Jesus is. Now we're going to fast forward just a little bit of time. Pull up the other set of scriptures. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 19 through 30. This is where we're going to be in our, uh, in our sermon today. What does it say? And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? Mm. When the, then the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured many infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits and to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard that the blind see that the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Hmm. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You may be seated. I want to preach to you from this topic this morning by aid of the Holy Spirit. When God does not deliver. When God does not deliver. I want you to think about that for a second. Because we've been trained with our church brain to often think that every time we're in a situation, God's going to save us from it. We have songs where we say, he's my healer. He is my redeemer. He is my deliverer. Yes. And, but yet we see the story of a man named John. John, whose whole purpose is to tell people, behold and make straight the way of the Lord. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. John, who is more familiar with the Son of God than anybody else, because John is his cousin so much close that when Mary has Jesus in her belly and, and Mary goes to meet Jesus' cousin and meet her cousin, the Bible says that when John and Jesus got close together in the womb that they leaped together that they knew who each other were 
<laughs> they, they automatically knew. And the Bible says that they leaped together in the belly, that they'd gotten so close. So if anybody would know who Jesus was, it was John. If anybody would have a relationship with Jesus, it was John. John went before Jesus. John was born six months about before Jesus. Why? Because he was what we call a forerunner. And John went out as a prophet. And he went out and he didn't get a big building. He, he was a street corner prophet. But John went out and he didn't have Louis Vuitton. He wore camel hair. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he was out in the middle of the wilderness. John is a man's man. He's not a bougie man. John's my kind of man. He's a real man. He's out there and he knows how to kill it and bring it home, but he doesn't even eat much. He eats grasshoppers. And he stands out in the middle of the wilderness and he says this, hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, make way for the Lord who is coming to establish his kingdom. I am the one who is going to let you know that God is about to do something different in the earth and he has a Messiah that's going to come and one day as John is baptizing in the Jordan, he sees his cousin approaching. No doubt John has heard the, 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 all the other things that everybody else heard about the virgin birth. And God, John has heard all the other gossip. He knows by this time that Jesus is not just any ordinary person. And as John is baptizing people for repentance, he sees, he sees Jesus walk toward him. And when he sees Jesus walk toward him, John stops and makes a public service announcement. Jesus, he asks him, why are you here? And he says, I must be baptized to fulfill our righteousness. In other words, your baptism is letting people know that the time and the season and the age is about to shift and we're about to go into a new dispensation. Things are about to change and something amazing is about to happen and I'm going to signify what the Father wants to do so I'm going to be baptized. But John knows so much of who Jesus is, he says something peculiar to him. He says, I need to be baptized by you. <clears throat> so we can see no doubt from what John says, and we hear in, in, in the book of John as he talks about how he knew that the Lord had spoken to him and told him, you will know the Son of God when the heavens open up. Go back and read the book of John, and, and, and the Holy Spirit lights on him. So it is no question when John sees this scene, when he baptizes Jesus, and the Bible says, that the heavens open. And when the heavens opened, there was a voice and the Holy Spirit came down, not as a dove, but like a dove. The Holy Spirit didn't look like a dove. It was floating down like a dove out of heaven and it rested on Jesus. And a voice came out and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. By this time, John should be well acquainted with Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I said, saw something like that, I wouldn't have any doubt in my mind about who Jesus was. But John was a truthful prophet. John wasn't trying to get, as my pastor would say, he wasn't trying to get a load for Sunday morning. He was trying to get a load for heaven. There's a different type of preaching you have when you're trying to get a load for Sunday morning. You say what people like, and you say things that are motivational. You say things that will help them come together. But when you're trying to get a load for heaven, you have to tell them the truth, and the truth is never comfortable. 
<laughs> and when John began to tell the truth, he spoke truth to power. He spoke truth to the government. And he went to the king and said, oh, king, you have married and killed off your brother. You have married your brother's wife, and it is wrong. There's nothing wrong with the church speaking to the government and telling them that God has a morality. And when your morality gets out of line with God's morality, we choose God's morality. Your morality is wrong because there is only one founder of heaven and earth, and he decides what's right and wrong. He decides what's left or right. He decides what's up and down. Well, my opinion is this. He doesn't care about your opinion. He created the heavens and the earth. This And this is something that has hurt us mostly in modern and Western Christianity because we live in not a democracy but a constitutional republic where we think our opinion matters but God created a kingdom and a kingdom is a theocracy for heaven which means the only opinion that matters is that of the king you can debate all you want what the king says is final well this is what we do nowadays and I think this is the way we should say it and this is the way we do that's fine but that doesn't fly with the king. And this is the type of preaching that gets pastors in trouble. And as John begins to tell the king that you've taken your brother's wife and you have married her and this is wrong and hell is going to be your home, he did what any other powerful person could do with integrity. He locked John up. He locked John in the middle of a dungeon, in the middle, middle of a prison. I've come to tell you that there will come a day and time in America where you've got to decide, do you want your freedom or do you want to preach freedom? i say that again. There will come a time in America where you have to decide, do you want your freedom or do you want to preach freedom? We are just north of Canada. If you go down through Detroit and go south, you can get on the bridge to what? Canada. Right now in Canada, there are people that are being arrested on the streets for preaching the gospel. Preaching the truth of God's word because the enemy doesn't want you to hear the truth. And here it is. John's whole life and purpose was to preach the gospel. It was to tell about Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is the son of God. And now John knows he might not get out of this. He might be executed. And now the very person that he came and used his platform for. See, John had a platform. And he used his platform to introduce Jesus. The very person that he used his platform for. Now John is in prison and Jesus is nowhere to be found. He believed in God. He trusted God. He's seen God move in his life before. Unmistakably, he knows that there is a God, but when he needs God, he does not see God show up. I want to talk to somebody this morning. <laughs> it's not just yourself you've been offended with. It's not just people you've been offended with. But you're not here by accident. You come into this place because some of you are mad at God. You're angry with him. You are offended with God. Because he didn't do the things that you thought he should do. I'm struggling with, with my identity, and I'm struggling with my identity. Why did he make me this way? He didn't sin made you that way. But it's a struggle in life. We all have struggles, and now you're angry with him for something he had nothing to do with. The wages of sin is death. Why did God take my loved one or my mother or my father home? Why did they have to die that way? Why did they have to be murdered or killed or die by cancer? If God, if you're God, why is there sickness in the world? And if we be honest, at one point in time or another, 
all of us have been offended with God. Here it is. Brother Bob admits, I know somebody else will admit it too. Here it is. The Bible says that God himself, Jesus said, John above John, there was not a better man on the earth, but all of those in the kingdom will be greater than him. And here it is, this preacher of righteousness, this preacher who has come to tell people that God is coming, is sitting in prison, and it's his own cousin. And he sends his people to say, not good job, cuz, I see what you're doing out there. Or go out there. He sends a message, are you the one or should we look for another how could you be God and lead me in this situation how could you be God and leave me with desires I don't seem to be able to control how could you be God and leave me in this predicament how could you be God and leave me confused how could you be God and not save my marriage I trusted you I saw you I walked down this aisle Jesus I gave my life to you and I thought all my struggles would be over but my life didn't get easier it got harder and I thought following you meant that everything was going to be great and they told me in modern day Christianity that if I just give you my hand everything was going to be great and rainbows were going to fall through the sky and my life is still a mess I'm upset are you the one or should we look for are you the one or should I try Buddha are you the one or should I cry Krishna Islam are you the one or should I, I, or should I try intersex or interfaith, or, or should I try universalism that will tell me how I'm living is right? Are you the one, or should I just pick the people that tells me how I want to live and the things I want to do? Okay, are you the one, or should I look for another truth? Here it is, John. Can you imagine seeing God come out and fall? on Jesus, knowing that your cousin is the son of God, and here you are about to be executed, and you're in a dungeon, and he doesn't show up. You preach, make straight the way of the Lord, make straight the way of the deliverer, but you are still bound. Mm. What do you do when God doesn't deliver like you thought he would? John has become faltering in his faith. Pull up the first power principle. I want you to see this. I want us to read it together. Power principle number one. It's what? It's easy to falter in faith and become offended with God. Judge him by his willingness to do as we wish and not his sovereignty to do as he pleases. That's supposed to be he, he pleases. I'm going to write that back out. They wrote it how I wrote it. I wrote it wrong. I'm going to read it to you. It's easier to falter in faith and become offended with God and judge him by his willingness to do as we wish and not his sovereignty to do as he pleases. See, part of the problem is <laughs> that the, the clay potter is trying to tell the, the potter how it needs to be made. We think too highly of ourselves and our opinion. We think too highly. If you're God, you'll do what I want. 
You give me the husband I want. You give me the life and the job that I want. If you my, if you God, I'm addicted to pornography. Just take it away from me. No, baby, you got to do some work. If you God, I won't be attracted to people that look or the same sex as me. You take it away. No, some things you just got to go through. Some things you just got to fight through. And how dare we get to the point where we think that we're in a position to tell God what to do. God didn't make sin in the world. The Bible says that we brought sin into the world and that the wages of sin is death. We created this mess and God gave us salvation to get out of it. But here's the thing. You don't get to tell him how to write the way. He wrote the way. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Well, this person has a study in this, and this person has a study in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and stuff like that. That person is just a dumb human like you are, with a bunch of extra degrees. They don't know how the heavens and the earth were flung in the sky. They were, I come here, Joe, where were you when I touched the four corners of the earth? Where were you when I put the moon and the heaven and the earth and the sky? Unfortunately, we are so smart, like my, uh, I don't want to be offensive, but I'm going to tell you, like my brother used to say, you're so smart, you're stupid. We've gotten so smart, and we think we know it all. And I know this now because I have children myself. Mama, I'm sorry. <laughs> That the older we get, the more information we have. We think that we know what's right and what life is. All you know is what's been fed to you, and some of that information is bad if it doesn't come from the word of God. You have based your worldview and your life off of the opinions of other people instead of the word of God, and you really don't know what you're talking about. And as you get older, you figure out, the older I get, when I got to 20, I realized I didn't know anything at 10. When I got to 30, I realized I really didn't know that much at 20. When I got to 40, I was like, my goodness, I was stupid at 30 that's how that works the older you get the more you realize that you don't know and the beginning of wisdom is to realize that there are things in life that we may never figure out and that's why we need God if we could tell God what was right and just why do we need him that's why many people are offended with God, because we judge him by his willingness to do or not do what we want instead of his sovereignty to do what he pleases. The Bible said the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, not what we please. He's not trying to, to fill out a popularity con uh, contest. God is not putting out a popularity poll to get popular consensus on how we handle the issues of the day. He has already told us how to handle them, and we can either do it his way or ours. <coughs> See, much of our frustration comes from the reality of our perception. We look for and expect God to do what we want, and if we are not careful, we will place our agenda at the center and not God's agenda. John was right where he was supposed to be in God's plan, but not in his own. Mm. Prison was part of the deal for John. God brought him to make straight the way for Jesus. He didn't say he was going to leave him there until he left. His purpose had been fulfilled. His, his, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. His purpose had been fulfilled. And God said, you've done what I needed you to do. It's time for you to exit the scene. But John is mad because he comes to the realization that God is not doing what he wanted him to do. 
God, I've been to this altar five times and my marriage is still jacked up. I got a problem with you. Learn how to speak. <laughs> some things we're waiting on God for, we just need to have him change some stuff in us. God, my finances are still jacked up. I've been praying for you for a miracle. A pastor just sent out a survey to say, does anybody want a financial class? But nobody said anything. Except a few. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do things he's empowered us to do for ourselves. Mm. Wow. That's hard to hear that John was in prison and he was right where he was supposed to be in God's plan. This is because we don't teach this doctrine in the church anymore. And it's an important doctrine in theological minds, the doctrine of suffering. That to be a Christian, you've got to learn to suffer. There are some things, see how, the world, how everybody got quiet when I said that? Well, that don't sound good. That doesn't feel good. But our Lord set the example. How did he save us? He suffered. And just in case we didn't get the picture, he left in his word that said, those that live godly must suffer persecution. Just in the few minutes of this sermon, I have said some things that will trigger a many of people and get a many of people upset. And I have to decide, am I worried about them being upset or am I worried about God being upset? I know that persecution comes with this podium. I know popularity doesn't come with this podium often unless you're saying what people want you to hear. Say but if we're going to be the Christians that God has called us to, a, a call, a, a former, former theologian said this, a call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Pastor, I, that was a theologian. What about Jesus? Well, I'll give you Jesus. Jesus has one too. He says, if any man will follow me, he must first deny him. Get your own agenda out the way. Get your selfish agenda out of the way. Stop thinking about the world the way you think the world should go and start seeking God for how he wants it to go. You don't, we, don't adjust, we don't have God adjust to us. We adjust to him. If any man's going to come to me, you can't come to God until you get your own self out the way because God's kingdom has no room for any other one. There's only one king in his kingdom. So you have to leave your opinions and your presuppositions and your mindsets at the door. That we belong to him and he will do with us as he wishes. Yes. Huh. We must realize that sometimes suffering is part of the deal. Pull up 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Well, we're going to pass. That's the... That's that's not the one I intended to pull up. I want to go ahead and give you this. This is important. I need you to listen to this. We must realize that God's character and his nature are not tied to our highs and our lows. I say that again. We must realize that God's character and his nature. Let's, let's read it. They got it up there. What does it say? If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. I'm going to give it to you in the old King James because it, it says it a little better. It says, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. The problem is all of us want to reign and nobody wants to suffer. 
Nobody wants to deny their flesh. Nobody wants to pray. We've got 21 days of fasting coming up. I'm interested to see how many people will actually come and do the fast. You know why people don't want to do the fast? Well, I'm not under the law, Pastor, so I don't have to do it. You don't, but that shows me where you are in Christ. Why? Because you don't want to deny yourself for anything. But you want him to give you every blessing. And what fasting says, it's a discipline that says, I'm willing to deny myself and I can truly be blessed because it's not all about me. The life I live is not about me. We must realize that God's character and nature are not tied to our highs and lows. Watch this. Jesus was God in the water when John saw him and the, he and the heavens opened up and he was still God when John was in prison. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was God in the water when the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. But he was still God while John was in prison. God was God when you got the job and God is the same God when you got turned down for the promotion. God was God when the healing came. God is God when he didn't heal and your loved one went home to be with Jesus. God is God when you walk down the aisle and God is still God when you stand in front of the judge in divorce court. How does God, he's God when you have money and he's God when you don't have a dime. God's character and nature is not tied to the highs and lows of our life. God is good even when things are bad. Job put it best. He said this way. Job had lost everything, and they were waiting for Job to deny God and curse him to his face. Job had lost his family, his cattle, and everybody else. The only person he didn't lose was his wife, and she was telling him, well, go ahead and die. Do you see what kind of life Job had? And even in that, Job, the only thing he left was the nagging wife. How about that? Ain't that amazing? <laughs> the enemy knows how to make you suffer. But at the end of the day, after he lost everything, you know what he said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know how Job knew? He said, because he was good when I got here. And you know how I got here? He said, naked I came into this world, and naked I shall return. He's going to be good when I have a bunch. He's going to be good when I have a little. He's going to be good when I don't have struggles. He's going to be good when I do. He's going to be God and good when I don't have any issues. He's going to be God when I have to give my friend my phone to keep me from going to websites I shouldn't be going to. He's still good even when the world is bad. But John asked a question, are you the one? He'd seen Jesus. He knew Jesus. Jesus was his cousin. He'd seen God move in a miraculous way. <clears throat> and here he is at this place in his faith. After everything he's seen, he's offended. His faith has faltered. Anybody ever been to that place where you believed in Jesus 
either now or once in your life, but because of the things that have happened in your life, your faith has started to falter and you started to have doubts and say, because things are going on in my life that are less than pleasurable, I don't know if I want to believe in you anymore. That's why we've got to divorce the goodness of God away from our situations. He said that he didn't say all things would be good. He said that they will work out for our good in the end. And sometimes the way to the best things in our life are through the hardest path. The only way you get the six-pack abs is to go through the gym. And that's why nobody has six-pack abs, because nobody wants to suffer. We like ham hocking, fat backing, fondue, and, and, and salmon, and steaks, and filet mignon, and, 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 fun, and, and nice, nice candles, and ambiance. That's what we like. We don't like exercise. We like reality TV. We don't like to sit on, on an exercise chair. We like our recliner, like the one I go in every day, in, and I just pop down and cut the TV off. I tell on myself, and you know what? You reap what you sow. You can't get the blessings. Some blessings are general. God's going to give them to you because you're, you're here and you're his creation. And some things in salvation are a free gift. But do you not know there's some peace and some other thing that he has for you? And you won't get it because you won't fast, you won't pray, you won't do these things because you think God's here to wait on you. It is not God's job to wait on us. It's our job to wait on him. We did not do him a favor by showing up today. He did us a favor by letting us have breath in our bodies so we could show up today. I've got a question. Have you ever been to a point in life where you've seen God move before, but now you have doubts? Can anybody be honest enough to say you've been at that space? I know what I saw. I grew up in the church past. I saw her, but I, I got some doubts. How could a good God let my mama die of cancer? I've told you this before, but I, one of the most life-changing moments I had was when my mother was preparing to die. People say you don't hear from God. That, that's because they're not talking to him. They're not listening. I'm not worried about what you hear, but God will speak to your heart. The first time my mother got sick, I fasted and prayed for three days, and I, I would not eat nor drink. I was sick, and I was rancid. I was going, uh, and, but I prayed, and God healed my mother. And the next time God ready, got ready to heal, my mother got cancer. I had just come out of a revival, and my mother was sitting in a seat right over there, and I talked about how God had healed her from cancer and how good he was. And here I was riding in a car, and I said, I'm upset with you. <laughs> I said, I'm mad at you. You let me sit here and you let me preach to people how you a healer and how you a deliverer and how you delivered my mama in a revival while you knew cancer was sitting in her body and now you're not healing her and this is my mama and I heard this voice so easy come into my heart and my mind and say, you keep saying it's mine. And I said, no, because she's my mama. And he said, no, she's mine and I'll do with her what I will. And I stopped my car. And I pulled over. And tears began to fill my eyes. And I realized, and I said, God, I've been arrogant, and I've been proud, and I'm sorry. 
See, if we be honest, that's what it is. It's arrogance and pride. We think that we can tell God what to do instead of realizing that we are his people and we are the sheep of his pastor. What I could not see is had my mama lived, and I'm not saying this is why she left. God works all things together. But do you really think a mama's boy who had been with his mama all his life would have picked up and left and went a thousand miles away from home as long as his mama was still living? Mama had raised all her children. She said, I just want to let the Lord live to see my kids get grown and it wasn't more than a year and a half after mama passed away and I was healed in my heart and when I finally got healed the phone rang and here I am. Was it easy? No. But look at all the blessings that have happened. And now my mom was in a place with no pain. But I couldn't see it because I was too worried about what I thought. Can we be honest? To say that we get angry at God because he didn't do something the way we wanted him to do it? Somebody said, I have believed. Somebody in this building says, I want to believe, but I'm shaky on it. And then somebody said, I need a little reassurance. Now, John is telling Jesus, I know I seen when I seen, but I need a little reassurance right now because my life is about to be taken. I know I see God working my mama. I know I see him working my daddy, but I, I need a little reassurance because I'm struggling with some things right now, and I don't know how to handle them. <coughs> Pull up. The second power principle as we get ready to move on. This comes from Christian maturity. Christian maturity allows us to realize this vital truth that's on the screen. Read it with me. What does it say? It's not about God's purpose in my plight. Rather, it is about God, my purpose in God's plan. We'll be better Christians when we realize it's not about us. Everybody says it's not about us. Salvation was about us. God so loved the world that he gave his only God, begotten son that whoever would believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But beyond that purpose, once you're saved, you are his. Yes. And he gets to do with you what he wants you to do. And sometimes he does some things with you that you just, be honest, don't want to do. He sends you some places that if you'll be honest, you just really don't want to go. What did he tell Peter? He said, now you walk around on your own. But he says, when you're later in life, Brother Dave, he says, people will carry you where you want to go and you will be led around. You will be a slave. And the reason you'll do it is for Christ. How many of the disciples you think would have stuck around for three years if he said, Matthew, you're going to end up in India stuck through with, with a spear? Or, or James, matter of fact, they're going to throw you off the top of the temple and you're going to break your neck and die. Or John, you're going to live. But before you live, they're going to poison you, boil you in oil, and stick you on an island by yourself. Who signed up. Who signs up when he says, Paul, you're going to do great things for me, but you're going to die on Nero's chopping block. But the words you write will make up two thirds of the New Testament that I'm going to use to bring people to me that God's purpose is bigger than our plight. We have to realize that he is using us for his glory, not for our own. Sometimes he's not going to deliver the way you think he should deliver. John had said it before, but he didn't realize it. In John 3 and 30, when they said, yeah, Jesus, the Bible says that people were coming to him, his disciples, because Jesus had baptized more people. 
but Jesus wasn't really baptizing anybody else. He, his disciples were saying, well, Jesus is doing this stuff. And, and John, what about this? His ministry is getting bigger than yours. And this was John's mentality. What did he say? You can see it on the screen. It said, what? He must increase, but I must decrease. Why can't I see God? Because you're in the way. You can't see God because you're looking at your wants and your desires. The only way you're seeing is you got to get yourself out of the way. Sometimes we have to be reminded that God is the central character. And we are not the central character in the story. We play out a part. We're here in this church, in this place, in this space. We are not the first congregation to be here. Those of us who have gone on before, some of them, the people who were in the original congregation are here, but they can tell you they've lived long enough to know many of the people they know have been gone. But the church is still here. So what does that tell you? It's not about the people. It's about God's purpose. And we should be excited that he's letting us play a part in this season. We find an awkward ending to the story <coughs> because every other one we, we have, we'd have a B3 organ and Turhan would be playing and I'd be jumping and shouting and saying, isn't he all right? And God would deliver you and your next, your ladder's going to be better than your greater and, and God's bringing you out right now and I need two or three people to jump up and shout and, 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 and make sure that you shout because when praises go up, blessings come down. Makes for good church but bad theology because the truth of the matter is John is going to die in prison. What do you do when God does not deliver? Well, Jesus, this isn't for our baby Christians. This is for the people who really want some real meat and want some real answers to some real questions so you can be strong in your faith. God is calling us beyond pity pat Christianity where we just believe the good stuff. We got to learn how to deal with the bad, too. This is what I want you to see. Last power principle. Pull it up for me. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. Say it with me. You will find peace in your pieces when you find your purpose in God's plan. Is your life in peace? (laughs) Are you at a point where your life is in shambles? Are you at a part where you don't know what the next step is? Are you at a part where the world around you says you should be one way, but you know somewhere deep inside that's not the way you need to be? Are there some desires from some things that you've done in places that you've been that you know you shouldn't have, but you created them, you opened the door to sin, and now you struggle. You have, and you feel a mess, and you say, I need some help. I'm struggling. Oh, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know, Pastor, I don't even know which way is up. I don't even know why I showed up here, and now God's all in my business. Like, you know everything about me, and you don't know me at all. That's right, but God does, and he wants you to know you will find peace in your pieces when you find your purpose in God's plan. You have a purpose but it's in his plan and not your own. And sometimes that plan means 
that it's not going to work how you would want it to work. <laughs> Brother Denny, if I had my way, I have a big old house in Mississippi right now. Bunch of retirement saved. Just hanging out, waiting for my kids to get out of school so I can stop working. But I find peace because that's not his plan for me. I've seen plenty of people, I'm a financial advisor, with plenty of money, and that money can't bring them peace. Your degrees can't bring you peace. Your titles at work can't bring you peace. Your certifications can't bring you peace. They might bring you a few accolades for people. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm in school right now, and people go to school all the time, but did you not know you'll spend five years of your life trying to get a doctor degree just to put DR or D-man or whatever behind your name, and somebody's going to read it on your obituary for two seconds, and that's it, and you did all that work. You better start to want to do things that matter. And only what you do for Christ matters. And only what you do for Christ will last. What do you do when God doesn't deliver? That's easy. You submit yourself to his will and erase your own. I hear Jesus saying that if I wanted to, Pilate, <laughs> you think you have power over me. But if I wanted to right now, you think Rome is powerful. I've got angels that are taking out entire armies by themselves. If I wanted to, I could call my father and he would send thousands of legions of angels to rescue me right now. Why didn't he? Because he was in the garden under high stress. And he said, I really don't want to die. But if I go back, they won't survive. I really don't want nine-inch train spikes like nails to be put through my hand that have not been sanitized on an old rugged cross. It hasn't been smoothed out in a wood planer, and the splinters are going to be in my back. I really would. I wish I could miss a cat of nine tail ripping my back and my body open until they see my entry. I really wish I could not have be beat until I'm unrecognizable. And just like the prophecy in Isaiah that there was nothing beautiful about him, that we could see it, but he would despise and rejected, full of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Because all we like sheep had gone astray and we have gone, every one of us, to our own way. And instead of punishing us, the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. I really wish I didn't have to bear this burden because it's not my fault. I didn't fall down. I didn't eat of the fruit. I didn't do these things. They deserve to die. But nevertheless, Somebody say nevertheless. Not my will. But thy will be done. The key is not wanting God to deliver us. It's okay to hope and have faith. But we also need to be just like the Hebrew boys. O king, live forever. We know that our God is able. To deliver us. And guess what? He might not deliver us from the fiery furnace. You might throw us in there. We might burn up. But even if he don't, he's still able. 
In other words, you're not going to win. You're not going to get me to turn my back on God because life didn't go the way I wanted. You're not going to go to get me to turn my back on God because I thought I'd be married forever and now I'm divorced and so now I'm widowed. You're not going to get, get uh, me to turn my back on my God because I thought I had the best boyfriend or the best girlfriend and now I'm a girl and I want a girlfriend. I'm a guy. I want a guy friend I, and I'm confused. I got all these things going on. You're not going to get me to turn my back on God. I'm going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say nevertheless not my But, Pastor, if I do that, I'm going to have to struggle all my life. Those that live godly must suffer persecution. Is there anyone here bold enough as they begin to play that says, Lord, I'm willing to deny myself and I'm willing to suffer for you and lay my wants and my desires to the side? I need more of you.